millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of London's greatest architectural treasures, Cressingham Gardens, has been approved for partial demolition. A parish council meeting leaked to YouTube has exposed the oh-so-shocking world of planning committees. And more than 70 housing schemes across South London face cancellation as a result of brick by brick Croydon's housing development arm being wound up. My name's Merlin Fulcher, I'm an architectural journalist and I'm bringing you the most important stories affecting architecture in London this week. I'm joined by Will Ng, reporter on the Architects Journal, the AJ. Will, how's it going? It's good, thank you, Merlin. Okay, well, look, we're going to kick off. We're going to discuss the big story of this week, and it's all to do with Cressingham Gardens. It's a housing estate in Lambeth, in Tolls Hill, in the Brixton area. A very important bit of architectural heritage. And what happened this week is Lambeth Council approved a planning application. It was a planning application lodged by Lambeth Council itself, which owns the estate, to redevelop part of the estate in the southern easternmost corner and what's going to happen is about 14 homes that exist there are going to be demolished and they're going to be uh, rebuilt 20 new homes are going to be built on top of it uh, but it, it's it's a really 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 big deal and it's partly a big deal because Cressingham Gardens itself as we said in our introduction is one of the most important bits of architectural heritage in London so what is it it's it's a housing estate that was built between 1969 and 1979 uh, by an architect called Ted Hollenby and Ted Hollenby is widely recognized as one of the great sort of post-war architects who worked in London he led the Lambeth Council's architect department at the time and after that he went on and, and basically like mastermind the vision for the whole of the London Docklands so he's like not an insignificant architect uh, and what he did at Cressingham Gardens was he built a housing estate which very different to the kind of stereotypical image of housing estates as being places with high-rise blocks and big sort of concrete expanses what he did was he built this amazing place that was it was all about small homes kind of neatly put together just like just like what you'd find in a village or town anywhere else with beautiful gardens and pavements and it was all just designed about around humanity and the way that we live 
And it was kind of like a radical departure from this immediate post-war way of doing things uh, and to create almost like the future mold, right? So this this is, in many ways, it's a beautiful place. I've been there and I, I really implore anyone listening to go when it's next open at Open House or just you know, pass through if you can. It's next to Brockwell Park, a beautiful park. But what's happened is Lambeth Council have approved a planning application to demolish part of this estate. Yeah, I mean... Demolishing pretty much any building is bad. Um, sometimes there are good reasons to do it. Um, but it's particularly sad when it is like clearly a nice building and a building that is loved by the people that use it. Um, it is bad for the environment. Why? Well, because when you create a new building, you have to, uh, you have to get loads of trucks to get the new materials there. You, just have, to, you have to use materials like uh, concrete, cement, steel, all of which have to be you know, created at high temperatures and the carbon that goes in that, as we know, is warming our planet. So um, it is a shame, you know, we need local councils to recycle buildings the way that we, you know, recycle everyday waste whenever we can. And also the homes that will be replacing these ones, the new ones, are not really as great as the old ones. Uh, and also campaigners have made the point that uh, one of the residents living there is a retired nurse who's 80 years old. So it's like the last thing anybody really wants in the middle of a pandemic is to be told that your home is just one planning permission to be replaced. But Will, I mean, I think it raises a lot of interesting points. I mean, one of the big things is what, why is it that local authorities are finding themselves in a position where they're having to demolish such amazing bits of architectural heritage in order just to deliver a few new homes? What are the potential alternatives for a place like Cressingham Gardens, like these homes? Because we know that um, th this site's been threatened with redevelopment for about 10 years and there's been a campaign by, say, Britain's Heritage and by the 20th Century Society and by local residents to try and stop this, right? So, you know, so, so as somebody you know, who's in tune with the architectural community, what are the alternatives for this? Because clearly everybody, everybody is firing on all cylinders for a kind of like recycle and renew approach. Well, that is the alternative. I mean, you can retrofit buildings, you can extend them, you can change their use. Just because we're not demolishing buildings doesn't mean everything has to stay the same. But, uh, you know, as long as, as long as you're keeping the kind of fabric... Um, you can build and add to it without creating this whole load of kind of new carbon. It's really, really interesting, this story, because obviously this is about a planning decision. So what happened is Lambeth Council sat down, they discussed all the kind of issues that were involved in this, and they came to a planning decision. And they, uh, in order that these elected councillors could reach that decision, uh, you know, they got together, they held a meeting. Uh, and then the result of that is that now um, that's sort of legally sanctioned, they can go ahead and, and do those works, they can actually make that thing happen. Um, but what's really interesting, Kay, in the last week is something that really gripped the world by storm, like far beyond London, far beyond built environment chat, is this thing, uh, you really got to check it out if you haven't seen it already. Three million people have viewed this on YouTube. It's the Handforth Parish Council uh, Committee meeting, okay? And it, it's quite an intense thing to watch. It's about 18 minutes long, and basically it is, it is like a classic example of the worst possible committee meeting you could ever go to um will have you had a chance to watch this one yeah i have i mean how can you avoid it uh if you're on twitter if you have a a desk job like me pretty hard to and what was what did it feel like to watch it because i have to say for me it was it was really painful because i think i might have actually been in a few meetings a bit like that 
well, it's it quite baffling, as like to just get your head around what's going on. I think we're not very familiar with these kind of democratic processes. Some I was a bit like, who's doing what here? I think it, exactly. I mean, it's certainly something that has caught a very wide range of interest. It's being picked up in like tabloid na- newspapers, the so-called quality newspapers everywhere, and obviously uh, it does actually relate to the built environment as well because it's a, it's a planning committee meeting itself. Certainly, as an architectural journalist, I've I've tuned into a fair few planning committee meetings digitally, even way before the pandemic, uh, and I've gone to a few in person, and they can get quite heated. There's protests that happen in these meetings. Um, does did it remind you of any any committee meetings that you've followed in recent times? No, to be honest. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It it, it was just quite astounding. Um, but I suppose there's a kind of another point to this, which is that with the pandemic, so many more people are broadcasting their meetings, even down to the obviously parish council meetings, um, and that is a good thing. And that's not only a good thing because hilarious when they uh, start fighting each other. Um, but it's also a good thing because now more people can, and I would say should, watch these council meetings and learn about learn about what's going on. Well, certainly that's one thing I've noticed. Uh, for example, local councillors where I live in Wandsworth tweeting with links to meetings. They say, hey, tonight we're discussing this thing. Why don't you all tune in? And it's certainly the way it used to be that you'd have to go on a website and like dig down through various levels and layers and be sort of really interested in that democracy section of your local authority website to actually get to those links and see the thing. That um, There's a lot more that could be done to get people in the room, as so to speak. Um, but certainly is also that kind of issue of the fact that um, you know, people don't typically engage with planning. Like, you know, normally if you wander around, you might see like a notice tied to a lamppost or a telegraph pole saying, you know, these plans have been lodged to extend this shop or to put a new illuminated sign here. And it's written in a kind of terrible language. Uh, there's no visuals. You know, what people want is a picture. So, you know, um, so it seems like there are kind of massive barriers between us and this world. Do you think this, does this video sort of highlight them does it do you think it might get people involved or do you think it might scare people off well no i think it does highlight it i mean clearly some people in local government um are chumps so you know if they can do it if they can be involved in their local council why can't any of us that's what i've learned well i'd certainly i'd certainly implore anyone listening if you're considering a career in local politics go for it um you know we definitely need more people with a, an interest in architecture and built environment because sometimes i look at the membership of planning committees and there's nobody on the planning committee who has a uh, kind of expertise or knowledge in in these things themselves so that neatly brings us on to the next story I want to discuss. It was covered in the Architects Journal, and this is all to do with Finn Williams. He's co-founder of Public Practice, a new organisation that was set up to bring talent into planning, regeneration and architecture teams of councils. I just want to ask everybody to like throw your minds back a few decades. Like Imagine in the 1970s, right, okay, Back then, most architects in Britain worked in the public sector, right? And most of them were involved in public projects. So the vast majority of the work that was being designed was housing estates and leisure centres and municipal, civic sort of office and town centre redevelopments and so on and so forth. And we went through a process of these services being... um, 
basically privatized or sort of thrown open to the free market and so we now operate in the current scenario where the majority of architects work in private practice and we now associate architecture as being much more to do with things like grand design and massive office buildings like the shard so but that so what uh finn williams was all about was about trying to shift that on its head and basically say to the best young architects who are coming out of often architecture schools in london this great city that we all love um, and say to them look you've got to go and work in the public sector just like people did in the 70s so finn was banging the drum for that and what's happened is as reported by the aj is he's gone and left london he's gone to sweden he's gone to malmo to be the new city architect now obviously public practice is still alive and well and doing excellent work and i think it will survive with um with finn going to malmo and obviously we hope he'll come back one day um but it's sort of um it raises this point about planning culture generally you know like is planning culture on a good trajectory did did finn leave because you know because of this hands forth parish council world you know you know was he experiencing that and just thinking oh it's a mess i need to go will perhaps you've got some better insight into this about where planning is going in london i think planning across the uk is underfunded um and when you think who planners are trying to scrutinize it's developers who are much better funded um you know to to take things forward a kind of legal avenue if, if nothing else so um what i would say is that planning isn't decaying uh, the industry is you know about to be quite significantly reformed so it's not forgotten about um but but yeah i think planners are up against it yeah, I certainly have this image of my mind of like one planning officer sat at their desk and then just like mountains and mountains of documents coming in uh, for some like planning application. It really is just them against like the sheer weight of uh, consultants and um, uh, cash that could be spent on making uh, the case for a new development so strong and so unequivocal. Um it's uh it's certainly um an interesting time as well because i think there is um uh, planning reforms in the offing so is it the case that planning planners themselves are potentially going to have a lot more power as a result of some of the kind of uh, visions that the government has for the way that we we shape our development and make it more more beautiful and more kind of like tapped into our architectural heritage um i think yes and no so under the new system there would be zoning right so if it's a, the local kind of planning authority will have to designate all land as to be developed on, um, to be kind of protected, uh, or this kind of intermediary stage. Um, and in the development zones, you can get outline planning permission straight away. So developers will have a lot more power there. I think, I think the planners' powers will be more in kind of drawing up local plans um, and local policies and kind of local design codes and assessing them rather than on um, kind of writing planning reports for planning committee meetings. But I think, you know, for anyone listening, that is significant because it basically means that your council, the councillors there, will actually be drawing up, sorry, not the councillors, their, their staff will potentially be drawing up what uh what a future thing might look like in your area so if you lived in an area of massive development like for example barking um it's actually your council that might have a kind of influence on that so i think that's it's a really interesting link to our third story that we're discussing this evening and this is all to do with brick by brick it's a housing development company that was owned by croydon council and i think many people will be aware that croydon council recently had to declare itself bankrupt uh, because it reached the kind of upper limit of the amount of money 
money it could borrow. And one of the sort of many things, activities and parts of that story is the fact that Croydon had this development company that was building its own homes. And so really the big news this week, and it was covered in the Architects Journal in an excellent article by Ella Jessel, uh, saying that effectively this company, this housing development company, which had employed the most amazing architects in London, that in many ways was kind of like a, like, like Ted, Ted Hollenby at Lambeth Council in the 60s and 70s. This was like the new version of that. All of the greatest, most interesting new architects in London were being commissioned to design new homes. This was like the future of our architectural heritage. Well, this company now, as a result of Croydon Council going bankrupt, um, is now basically it's for sale, okay? So um, they they had various bits of land all across Croydon. They had designs drawn up by architects. um, And now the company, those bits of land and those designs are all for sale. Uh, About 70 designs they had for 70 bits of land that would have delivered hundreds of homes all across Croydon um, are cancelled. Um, and uh, various other ones are either for sale or they are um, just going to be built through and then they'll sell the company. Um, Will, this is a story that you've covered quite extensively. Perhaps you could talk us through it. Well, the first thing to say is it's a real shame to see that they're going to have to sell off all these sites. Um, Hopefully, whoever does buy them, presumably other developers, um, will keep the nice consented schemes that they have by as you say really prestigious architects hopefully they'll also keep the planned kind of level of social housing that brick by brick was going to deliver um but it's very unlikely they'll do both and who knew, who knows if they'll even do one of those things uh, my read is that brick by brick expanded just too quickly Uh, So as you say, they have more than 70 schemes um, with planning, but not on site, that are going to be offloaded. Now that's loads, you know, given they've got a lot on site as well, and a a kind of whole batch that have just finished. It's quite amazing. Um, But it has taken longer for it to make money than it predicted. So in its 2018-19 business case... Brick by Brick said it would cover its funding from receipts of housing sales by its next financial year and that it would pay back its loans the year after that. So two years on from that, it has done neither of those things. Now it said, um, and this was before the crisis at Croydon, it said it would only cover its funding from receipts in another two years and it would only repay its loans in another four years. So it's kind of, I think, just taken on a lot a lot too much and now it's been overstretched and in a way it's not inevitable this has happened because it probably assumed it had a backer with a better credit rating than it did and Croydon Council hasn't gone bankrupt just because of brick by brick Um, so if other things you know Croydon uh, lost money on speculative property developments and its children's services was a mess if it had been another way, I think brick by brick could have been a success. Um, so it's sad. And so clearly, what I'm hearing from you is that you know brick by brick is basically a viable company. It's you know if somebody with who can borrow money, which there are people out there who can. I mean, who who do you think might go for it? What do you think the future of something like brick by brick might be? I definitely think it is a viable company. And interestingly, the government's rapid review into Croydon Council uh, even said, although it has been. Um, quite seriously mismanaged on the council side, um, not necessarily the company itself, but from the council's perspective, um, 
it said it did not invalidate the kind of concept of a development company um, owned by a council. Now, who, what will happen to it next? Uh, I'm not sure. It will be wound down if nobody buys it. But I would have thought there's a buyer out there. I mean, as far, if I know anything about London, I know anything about the people that I speak with and spend time with, is that everybody wants a lovely, affordable place where they can live. So, like this, the, the, so surely that's a good business proposition. Um, one of the interesting things here is that, um, coming back to our, our previous story we were discussing, Finn Williams uh, w- had worked in Croydon in the early days uh, of these projects like this getting going, and he's a sort of visionary person. And is there a kind of feeling that basically... Croydon possibly was a bit too visionary. I mean, I, I write all the time about uh, councils all over Britain who are now procuring uh, council housing, who are building their own council housing. But I think Croydon, uh, for example, in London, Enfield is one that's going for it. Um, but you know, is Croydon just like the, you know, the bird that flew first? Has it just really suffered for being a trailblazer here? Yeah, I think there is an element of that. Um, and it's interesting to note that others, like the London Borough of Merton, has wound up its development company as well now. Um, Merrington, largely as a result of what's gone on in Brick by Brick, just kind of seeing it. I suppose it's been unlucky. Things like Brexit, coronavirus um, haven't helped its outlook. Um, and obviously it's it's back at Croydon having sort of so many other problems. But, but, but Will, is it not interesting that you know, things like Brick by Brick, they, they were set up before a very, very, very crucial change in government policy, which was this, this moment, which happened actually under Theresa May's government, where they, they lifted the borrowing cap on local authorities and they meant that they, they could borrow more cash themselves. Is, is that right? I mean, is, is it possibly that Brick by Brick's funding model was a bit antiquated because it preceded this this big legal change that allowed local authorities to go back to that golden era of public sector house building that someone like Ted Hollandby operated under? Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, there was kind of a crop of building companies and Brick by Brick is sort of maybe the most famous ones, but actually there've been a, you know, a lot of other ones since, including a lot outside of London, um, which before... Theresa May lifted the borrowing cap meant that, you know, councils could have companies which could borrow um, against their housing stock and and borrow at sort of commercial rates. So um, I think we will see less of this type of model. I think now that councils can just borrow against their own housing stock. They, they will just sort of develop directly. And obviously it also relates back to the Cressingham Gardens as well because one of the, the responses the council, Lambeth Council says in response to to, to demolishing uh, part of Cressingham Gardens is the fact that they don't get any funding from government to, to build affordable homes so they have to do stuff like this. Is there a kind of, is it, is there a kind of wider cautionary tale about you know, forcing councils and public bodies to basically behave like private sector companies? Yeah, is that actually the right way to approach this sort of thing? No, I agree with you. I think it's sad. I mean, ideally, councils wouldn't be building market homes. They'd be building entirely council homes. One of the big problems is that right to buy, um, the the councils don't get all of the money from the houses they have to sell. You know, they get about 30, 40% of the money and the rest goes to the treasury. Um, And it really frustrates councils because if they got all of the money from the councils they, they are forced to sell off, then they would be able to reinvest it in creating more homes. But at the moment, they just feel like they cannot replace like for like. So they've got to create market homes as well. It does raise a lot of really important issues which link to some very uh, telling statistics that were reported actually in the Telegraph newspaper, but put forward by some experts uh, recently. And effectively, they were saying 
They were saying that London's uh, private rental prices could fall by 20% as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and turndown, um, economic turndown, and basically downturn, sorry. And this is all to do with the fact that the population of London has fallen by about 700,000. And this represents an 8% drop in the population of London. It's the first time the population of London has fallen in 30 years. And uh, as you know, anybody might anecdotally be aware, the last 30 years have seen massive increases in both land and property prices in London and also private rents, which unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, will be all too well aware of the extortionate uh, price of private rent in London. So, Will, what does this potentially mean? Is, is this good news or bad news? What's going on? Well, my first reaction is that it is good news. I'd love to see a 20% reduction in my rate. Um, it would be really helpful. Who wouldn't? I know. Well, um, actually, Telegraph readers, you know, I noted that that article... Um, talked about the kind of depressing effect it would have um but i suppose that's your yield if you're a telegraph reader um but i you know on a greater point will it help reduce homelessness for example i'm not convinced it will um and the reason is because so much of our social housing is built by developers um who are kind of riding the sort of housing boom so you know our, our social housing has been delivered as a proportion often of new developments or as kind of section 106 obligations which developers pay to local councils um so i'm worried it could mean uh less social housing if we actually see kind of a drop in rent and property prices over the longer term uh, but it's certainly what I think a topic that we'll be coming back to to discuss more and more uh, on the London. So obviously, um, it's been an immense uh, pleasure uh, to be joined by Will Ing, a reporter at the Architects Journal, this evening, uh, an excellent, authoritative, insightful voice uh, on all the topics uh, that are going on in the week of London's architecture. I hope to have you back again on the show. Um, so, Will, where can listeners read more of your stories? They can read more of our stories at the Architects Journal. .co.uk. We've got, you know, features, building studies, news. So check it out there. And we're on Twitter as well. You've been listening to The Lundown, a new show from Open City, exploring the big stories in architecture and the built environment each week in London. You can tweet at the show using the hashtag Lundown, L-N-D-D-W-N, or at Open City London. We want to hear what you think, what you want us to be discussing in the show next week. Open City is a charity dedicated to making London more open, accessible and equitable. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.